All right, everybody. Thank you for coming out. On a, uh, it was supposed to be nice today. I, I, I blame Lou Scally. I think he said it was supposed to be nice today. But it's rainy and drizzly, but I think still about 55 degrees. So um, my name is Ryan Miner. I host a Minor Detail radio podcast, and I am... Can you hear me? Oh. Julie will fix that. I host a Minor Detail radio podcast, and I'm also the editor-in-chief of a minor detail who often scoops the Herald Mail. Um, I'm very proud of that. <laughs> um, we wanted to have a, a frank discussion about what happened after this election in Washington County. Washington County, I was born and raised here. It's a great community. And I, I now live in, uh, down in Gaithersburg, Maryland. And looking from afar and as a former Washington County, and I guess I'll always be a Washington County resident, I wanted to understand what happened in the election. And we know what happened because we saw the results. We saw how things turned out for, well, Democrats. And we saw how the election that turned out for the Republicans. This is a Republican-leaning county, and things don't always go as expected for, for Democrats. And we're going to explore some trends today. We're going to talk about each of these candidates um, who ran and were unsuccessful in their bid, try to have a really frank and honest and transparent conversation with the audience. And also, this is being live streamed on Facebook. I'm recording it. Um, it's going to be turned into a podcast for a minor detail radio podcast. So with no further ado, I'm going to first introduce our panelists, and then I'm going to introduce our host. Um, Bernie Simler, a local attorney who ran for state's attorney, and... Uh, We'll talk more about your race. Donna Brightman, former Board of Education president, was on the Board of Education for nine years. She ran for Washington County Commissioner. And Scott Bryan, who is, uh, all, was also a former candidate this past cycle for Washington County Commissioner. And as we go through the panel this evening, we're going to talk to each of these candidates, get their take on their elections, have them talk about their experience running as a candidate, and I really want to get to the heart and soul of how we can improve county government, how we can bring intellectual minds like yourself to the table and get more people involved. Look, if on Facebook it said 12 people were going to come, and I think we surpassed that. So I, could, I claim this event a total success. This is a total success for an event uh, to get anybody out on a Sunday afternoon, nonetheless, in December when people are busy, it's the holidays. So thank you for coming out. I truly mean that. Thank you for coming out. So I want to introduce our host of The Flying Camel, owner, operator, and a visionary thinker. I mean, look at this space. It's amazing. I remember when it was Ava's, and I was down here with some my college friends and probably drinking too much. Um, but nonetheless, they have great food. Enjoy the drinks. Get Tip your bartender. But Julie, I want to introduce you first and just say thank you for having us. So. Pop over Hi everybody, I'm Julie Castillo. Are you all having a good evening so far? Yeah. Excellent. I want to thank you so much for coming out tonight. Uh, I am absolutely thrilled that we are able to do this event tonight. This subject is something that is very, very important to me. I think that uh, as a country, we could do with much better political discourse. So the fact that you all are here to participate in this event, I think, is a very, very good start. And uh, 
I'm hoping that we can make this an ongoing, regular event. I really like the idea of doing this. I will tell you that uh, there is a proud tradition in America of good political discourse happening in pubs and taverns and coffee shops and hair salons and places like that. I think these are places where we can have really good political conversations. So I think this is a very good start tonight. And would you all be willing to give a round of applause to Ryan and our panelists? Thank you very much. Thank you, Julie. And we will. We're going to take advantage of this as much as possible. Um, you know, living in Montgomery County, we have many local places that we can frequent, but there's nothing quite like when coming back home. You know the local watering holes all over the county, you know, whether it's in Williamsport at the Desert Rose Cafe, or out in Smithsburg at the diner, um, or here at the Flying Camel. There's so many little cool spots, and as someone who works in a, in a small business, I encourage you to frequent them as much as possible. So. Tonight, uh, I want to start out with Scott Bryan. Um, Scott, I want you to introduce yourself. And really, I just want you to talk about your experience as a candidate. But I want you to go through the nuances of the process, what you learned about the process, the, f the fun stuff that you experienced, but also the hindrances. What sort of things held you up? And why do you really believe that you were unsuccessful in your race? So Scott, take it away. Hi, good evening. Uh, uh, thanks to everybody for coming. Thanks, Ryan, for hosting us. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, so uh, I think I know most of the people in the room. I'm Scott Ryan. I'm a Republican. Uh, I grew up kind of in the area and uh, moved away for about 20-some years and then moved back three or four years ago. Decided to run kind of last minute right for county commissioner, kind of right before, thank you. Um, I, I think I filed and made the decision in mid-February and then, you know, a few months so there was not much in my case there was not much infrastructure in place so it was kind of fly by the seat of your pants uh, I think what I learned from it was uh, it was a great learning experience the best part that I learned was I mean I, I've met some really good people on both sides to include these two up here I think we've all become pretty good friends or at least maybe they feel that way I don't know but uh, I, I learned a lot by talking to a lot of different people uh, you know the I thought I kind of had an idea of what was going on in the county, but then you start talking to folks. You talk to people like the uh, Commission for Aging, places like that. And I didn't really realize some of the issues that we had, uh, whether they were funding, whether they were um, you know, social issues, different things like that. So, I mean, that was good. Uh, I think what you're asking, though, is what did I learn about the process? Yeah, sorry. I haven't had enough to drink. Um, the process was interesting. Uh, I mean, obviously this was the first time I'd ever done anything like this as far as running for office, and it was never really anything I wanted to do. Um, I just kind of felt like I wanted to offer something, and, and maybe I could, but the reality was it was very eye-awakening. I didn't realize how, I guess, rancid the local politics were until I kind of got into it. Um, and. Well, I'll stop there. I have, okay. a, I have a tendency to get long-winded. So next up, Donna, same process. If you could explain your candidacy, your thoughts and feelings about the process, and then later on we'll go into the nuance um, and really get into the weeds of these races. So, so, no. Good evening. Um, so instead of this, this is my fifth campaign 
in Washington County. So I come from this in a little bit different um, attitude, I guess. So I'd like to do a once upon a time, briefly, when I had served on the PTA, the Budget Advisory, the Citizens Advisory Committee, had been very active in education, children in school, uh, a way, a pathway that a lot of women choose to start getting active. Jan Gardner and Frederick started out as PTA president, is now a uh, county exec. So it's a way of getting to know your community. So at one point, I realized that the only way you could encourage a more diverse um, board, whether it was board of ed or county commissioner, I felt the reason we didn't get diversity and people wouldn't run is because it was really hard to run against incumbents. And the way, the reason we had so many incumbents entrenched was because we were elected, they were elected at large rather than by district. So it was very difficult once somebody got elected from Clear Spring or from Williamsport or from Smithsburg for them to ever really lose that seat unless they decided not to run again and there would be an open seat for a non-incumbent. So I, at that time, this was 2005, and it was before redistricting, and the south part of Washington County, where I live, was actually in a district with Frederick County. Rick Weldon was the delegate, Senator Mooney, anyone remember these names? Um, and Chris Shank was the delegate and to be at that time. I went to Rick Walden and said, can we introduce legislation? Would you be willing to introduce legislation to change the process, to your point, Ryan, about process, to make uh, Board of Ed and County Commissioners elected by district and possibly a um, at-large member or some hybrid, which Frederick does now. The legislation was written. Chris Shank co-sponsored it, and it was actually getting ready to come out of committee, and the then superintendent of schools and the then president of the Board of Ed took a trip to Annapolis, and they actually talked to the chair of the committee, Sheila Hickson at the time, and talked her into killing the piece of legislation. Rick Weldon called me and said, by the way, Donna, this is what happened. And we got agitated and he said, are you angry enough to run? And I said, run for what? And he said, well, Board of Ed or County Commissioner. And I said, well, let me think about it. Two weeks later, I decided to run for County Commissioner and that was in 2006. At that point, there were 25 candidates running. 13 Republicans and 12 Democrats. One Democrat got elected, that was Kristen Alshire, and I was number six. Believe it or not, fast forward, and I ran several other times for Board of Ed, fast forward to 2018 and I came in sixth again. But not one Democrat made it on the board. Three incumbents made it on into newcomers, one sitting in the room. 
So that's where I think we need to look at the history of this county and how we need to, as a community, try to separate the national issues from the local issues and what can we do better to get qualified, diverse individuals serving on our board. Good evening. My name is Bernard Sumler and I ran for Washington County State's Attorney. Um, thank you for being here tonight as well. I echo uh, my thanks to Ryan for being here and putting this on as well as the establishment. Uh, uh, my campaign, uh, it's very similar to Scott's in that this was my first time running. Um, I made this decision probably three years prior to actually announcing my campaign. Thought about this long and hard with my family. Uh, we have five kids, too, that are still in the home, that are in public schools. We knew the effect that a, a campaign is going to have on your family, on your kids. And uh, we sat down, talked about it as a family, decided to run, and kind of started putting things in place for, for that candidacy. Uh, when I decided to finally announce the candidacy in February, uh, I can tell you is only because of really a lot of it was my wife's friends and some of my friends as well, but the friends that came out and just supported what I stood for and what I wanted to change in this, this county really was why I think I, I really ran one, one hell of a campaign. Uh, I can say that uh, the one thing when I agreed to do this is I, I didn't want this to come across as just as people up here that lost that are just complaining about that they lost. Uh, I'm fine with the result of the campaign, but if you ask me questions tonight, the one thing that I think a lot of people like about me is that I'm blatantly honest. I, I don't sugarcoat anything. You might disagree with my opinion, but I'm at least going to give you an honest opinion. Uh, I struggled with uh, really my own party throughout the campaign, and I ran as a Democrat. I ran as a conservative Democrat. I I really tried to make my campaign nonpartisan because I always believe that public safety is nonpartisan. And uh, uh, I stated that in the beginning and I ran on that throughout, but really the difficulties I had were really with the Democratic Central Committee here in Washington County. They, they weren't the cause of why I lost, but I mean, we're gonna talk more at that, about that at length. But uh, I, I look back on my campaign and there really wasn't anything that I could have done to have changed the result. I, I really believe there was no way I could have possibly won. Okay. We'll talk about that, but that, that's my honest belief. Thank you. So thank you to the three for the introductions. And Bernie, you gave me a great entranceway to talk about the local politics, the, the, beneath the surface, what you first do out the gate when you're a candidate. And I can tell you, as someone who ran for the Board of Education got slaughtered, um, it's not fun to lose, and it's really not fun to lose when you invest every waking moment of your life, your family's life, and it's an emotional experience for all these guys and, and gals on this stage. It is an emotional experience, and I, I just want to say that, and thank you for running. Thank you, because... We need bright minds to change the way that this county works. So let's talk about the politics. Bernie, you mentioned that the Democratic Senate, you're a Democrat, and 
the first usually the first steps is talking with your respective political apparatus, whether that be a Republican Central Committee or a Democratic Central Committee. Um, as an independent, we don't have the, the independent Central Committee. I see Andrew over there who ran in District 2B, and does the Green Party have a Central Committee? Uh, yeah. Okay. So the Green Party Central Committee. <laughs> so, Bernie, you mentioned that you had some some issues. Let's talk frankly about that. Let's unwind that. What specifically, when you talk to your Democratic Central Committee, what happened and how did they receive the way that you wanted to run your campaign versus the way that they perceived that you should run your campaign? I think that, as I said, my belief was that public safety is nonpartisan. So when I the state's attorney basically handles the prosecution of all crime here in Washington County. Uh, my belief is is that there's a common sense approach to that. And the common sense approach to that would be is that there are crimes in this county that I don't believe are prosecuted uh, to the extent that they should be. But I also believe that a state's attorney has a different role. That different role could be is that they can be proactive. Not everything has to be we have to max sentences on everybody. You could be involved in the community, and if you deal with the issues in the community, you can stop crime before it occurs. And what are the issues in the community? Addiction and homelessness and unemployment and mental health. And I met with all these organizations, and all these organizations said they have a very limited contact with the state's attorney's office. And so I, I realized that if, if we work together, we can solve these issues. Otherwise, all you're going to do is be proactive all the time, I mean, reactive to crime. So crime's never going to really go down unless you believe you can lock up all the people that are going to commit crimes, and that's never going to happen. So I had this nonpartisan approach, and I went to the Democratic Central Committee, and as I said, I, I don't hold any ill will. I'm just giving you my perception of, of, of how things occurred in the sense that I think both parties do this. Both parties say that we have this big umbrella, that everybody, oh, we welcome everybody under this umbrella. And I think they do that until you disagree with some of their tenants of that umbrella. For example, and I, and I, and I apologize once again. I don't sugarcoat things. I, I call it the Kool-Aid approach. Unless you drink the Kool-Aid for the entire party, for example, if you're a Republican, unless you believe that global warming is a hoax, or that everything that Donald Trump says is correct, then you will have issues with the party. On the Democratic side, unless you believe that whoever they nominate for the governor position which was Ben Jealous, unless you believe him in his more liberal views, then you're not drinking the Kool-Aid and there's going to be issues. As I said, I was a conservative Democrat. I'm not going to change who I am to just get a vote. I, I spoke to a million different people, and you can bet that every person I spoke to, I was honest, my message never changes. But the problem that I felt with the Democratic Central Committee was is that if I didn't support all the other candidates on the Democratic ticket, then there were going to be dissension or issues between my candidacy and their approach. And as I said, I don't support, it's not my job as a candidate to support everybody else on my ticket that's a Democrat. It's not. that. And if you believe that that's the case, then I think you're drinking the Kool-Aid. My job was to get myself elected to hopefully make a change for this county for the better. And I felt that the Democratic Central Committee couldn't get on board with that, and they wanted to push a more liberal agenda. And if you believe in that, that's fine, but that wasn't my agenda. And I, I felt we butted heads. I just believe that. Thanks, Bernie. 
Donna, same question. Party politics. What was your interaction with the Washington County Democratic Central Committee, and how was your message received versus how they maybe had intended you to run a campaign? So again, I've run, this is my fifth campaign. I've run in Washington County as a Democrat. So I've been through four or five different Central Committee administrations. Um, the first couple were like a non-entity. I didn't even worry about them. They really weren't functional. Uh, then there was some dysfunction, and then this recent election in the primary, and I don't know how many of you are aware of how central committees work, but every four years during the gubernatorial election, they elect their individual members. And it happens in the primary, and then that new central committee takes over that election cycle. Um, the Democratic Central Committee did a big switch in the primary. The majority shifted to a different, uh, a, a more liberal, if you want to call it, agenda. So again, as a Democrat running in Washington County, you cannot, in my opinion, win as a liberal Democrat. In my opinion, you need to be relevant to a rural, community and rural Democrats are very different from California Democrats, Montgomery County Democrats, or Vermont Democrats. This is a Washington County Democrat speaking. So when I run a campaign, I go out and meet with a lot of different groups, whether it's Fire and Rescue, whether it's Ag, Commission on Aging, um, you go through this whole county, you don't just talk to your echo chambers. And just as Bernie found out, I found out, as did other Democratic candidates, that there was now a litmus test with the Central Committee for Democratic candidates. You had to be Democrat in their description of what a Democrat was. And that made it very difficult during the election, actual election cycle, when there were signs out there that said, I, I don't know the exact terminology, but it was save America from Trump, vote Democrat. Wow. That energized voters, Republicans, to get out and vote and any Republican that might cross over would hesitate. So again, the message got blurred very much what I think by the Central Committee. Thanks, Donna. The inverse, the inverse as a Republican and as someone whom, and I've got to know you a little bit and we've had some really s smart and intelligent discussions that's because you were doing the talk. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> My wife might disagree with you. Um, I got to tell you, the Republicans have their own set of issues as well. Donna mentioned a witness test. Bernie alluded to that. Tell us what happened with your interaction with the de with the Republican Central Committee, running as a Republican who may not who looked at issues as individual issues on a county basis rather than in a partisan lens. 
tell us about that interaction. Yeah, so like I said, I was a novice, and this is the first time I've really jumped into this. And I, I'll qualify this up front by anybody who knows me, I've made it pretty clear that I didn't expect to win because I knew the, the odds were stacked pretty much against me from the start for a number of reasons. Having said that, though, you know, it's one of those things, the farther you get into it, the more you're kind of invested and you go with it. But I was still trying to win. And the first thing I did, not really, I tried to go back to my military time and do like some sort of analysis on the best way to approach this. So like Bernie said, I, I, or someone said, uh, the first thing I did was reach out to the Republican Central Committee chair, sent him an email or left him a voicemail or something. And we wound up meeting a few days later. Um, we talked, he talked for about 45 minutes and then I talked for about three minutes. And because uh, I felt that the best thing to do was to at least get the blessing, kind of figure out what's going on. And, you know, it seemed to me at the time that it was logical to have your own party kind of like in unison and lockstep or whatever. So we did that. And then I wound up going to one of the Republican uh, Central Committee meetings, which to me didn't seem very productive. But uh, so I didn't go to any after that. Uh, but I did reach out to a number of different officials. Um, within the Central Committee, and we met, uh, I think, three of them, and I met one-on-one. One of them extremely helpful. Um, very, you know, we spoke frankly, we talked about different things, gave me a lot of information, and I, I felt that was very productive. The other two were, I mean, I'll just be blunt, it was a waste of time. Um, the one spent time telling me how the Democrats were bad and, you know, loved Donald Trump and those types of, or, uh, that individual was pro-Trump and things like that, which is fine. So what happened with me was uh, after those interactions, I quickly started to distance myself from the RCC, which I knew was quite a calculated risk. But that was for twofold. One, I felt like I wasn't going to get a whole lot of support from them, rightfully or wrongly. And the other thing was I didn't want to – I felt like my message was much different than, than collectively their message. So it, as, the, as for whatever it was, four or five months for the primary or whatever, I, I started really distancing myself. And quite honestly, I think that hurt quite a bit. Um, but I will tell you, every day of the week and twice on Sunday, for me personally, it was absolutely the right decision. Because I sleep better now knowing that I kind of did what I wanted to do my way. And um, I, I will also say this. I probably cut my own throat by, I, I did not vote for Donald Trump, I am not a Donald Trump Republican, and that became a pretty quick, uh, it became public pretty quickly. How so? Well, there was one person on the Central Committee who, when right after I met with him, he looked up my voting record, and uh, so I hadn't voted in a few elections, and it was never asked of me why I hadn't voted in those elections. Well, one of which I was uh, deployed because I was in the military and it was a quick deployment. Another one was uh, I was away for work and going through a divorce. So I had other things on my mind, which is neither here nor there. So, but there were, that one individual was the only one who ever challenged me and said on the phone, hey, you're going to be challenged on your voting record. No one ever challenged me on my voting record and that's not made public. And so I, the, the anti, I won't say anti-Trump thing, but my lack of support for the president did not, was not made public unless I was talking to people one-on-one. So that's pretty easy math. Um, and then there were some other things that kind of came out. There was, uh, 
I mean, which I'll come to in a minute. I was going to say, I was going to mention, and, and I hope you don't mind me sharing this. By all means. You were given basically a litmus test in the form of an email, and that was set up by the Central Committee and our wonderful delegate here, Neil Parent. Um, and th one of the questions asked the candidates, who did you vote for? The Republican candidates, that is. Who did you vote for in the last election? And you responded, well, was it none of your goddamn business, or? <laughs> you were going down a rabbit hole, here, right. and I'll give, you, I'll give you the entire rabbit hole. What the hell? So what happened was, this, it was about two weeks out from the election, and this survey came out, which there were two. I declined to answer uh, the survey, and I emailed that particular delegate and told him why, and was respectful, and there were some emails back and forth. And my main thing was, and there were two other candidates who also, one is a current commissioner now, or was then and still is, there were other two candidates who also I spoke with and they chose to do the same thing. And my rationale was a couple of things, and I'll talk specifically about the questions in a minute, was, uh, look, we're two weeks out from the election. And this is, from what I understand and I've been told, this is not, uh, this is uncharted territory for a state delegate to, to dive into a local election. So that was one. And number two was, it was a 10 question survey and you could only answer yes or no. And I said, I have a problem answering yes or no because there's no nuance to that. And I'm all about nuance. So there was that, which, in which case, in this back and forth banner, the delegate decided that they would change it, but you could have a 25 uh, character count or something. So there was that. And then, but my overriding thing was look, this is two weeks out from the election. Five of these questions, oh, court help me out, four or five of these questions had nothing to do with our local race. One was, when do you think? And I told him this. I said, look, this has nothing. Question one, did you vote for President Trump? Yes or no? Question two. Well, yeah, question two, did you vote for Governor Hogan? Which, by the way, I did. Yes or no? Question three, I guess that was a throwaway. Uh, and then there, were, there was, when do you think life begins? What do you think about same-sex uh, gender bathrooms? One was, and I was going to be a smart ass and respond with this, do you think children should be locked in bathrooms away or locker rooms away from other sexes and I was going to respond well I don't think any children should be locked in locker rooms let me, let me just ask what does any of this have to do with county government that was right. how does any of this have to do with county government about taking care of citizens making sure we're talking about very basic issues zoning issues roads meeting the constituents needs right. I, I don't understand how a national litmus test of social issues has anything to do with how you would conduct yourself as a I don't care if you're pro-life or pro-choice. I, I don't care if you voted for Donald Trump or not, and I really don't care what your position is on federal immigration law. Well, maybe in your case, because as a state's attorney, we, we could talk about that. But these issues don't matter. That was kind of my overriding point, and you know, I thought it was a bit curious last minute. And it was interesting because... Um, I mean, it did not help me on Facebook. I mean, that was the first time I've been called a rhino or whatever. And, and what happened was then... Does anyone know what a rhino is? Yeah. I've been called a hippopotamus. Raise your hand if you've been called so, a rhino. <laughs> yeah. So, but it was interesting because, I mean, look, like I said, I, I was probably, you know, not gonna, going to win anyway. But I, I, I was, and I, you know, I don't know what the, what the driving, I can speculate, but I don't know what the driving factor was behind that. But the overriding thing was the secondary and, and tertiary effects of that were then... I got crucified on Facebook, among with uh, with some other people, because you would see on there, I'm not voting for this guy, he won't take a stand. And and this is, I think, we would all agree, 
this is at the crux of what we're talking about as well. There's not a, there's no nuance, there's no depth of thought. It's okay, we're gonna vote party lines. If this person doesn't fall in with Delegate Parrot and doesn't do this, then oh, well there, there's no follow-ups, there's no specifics. And so there was a whole lot of that then. And but, you know, at the end of the day, I do it the same. Well, I appreciate that you, you were intellectually honest, and I think most people, and here's a question, and feel free if you wish to answer it or not, but, um, and, and I'll answer as well. How many people on your ballot, when you went to vote, split your ballot, Democrat, you voted for Democrats and Republicans? Okay, so I, I looked at a lot of the candidates on my ballot, and I live in Montgomery County, where there's a lot more Democrats than there are Republicans, and as an independent, I can tell you that I, I voted for Democrats and Republicans, and I even, I wrote in my cat for one of the candidates, so he, he did not win. Um, so, and that leads me into the next question. How much of the Trump effect had on this local election here specifically in Washington County? And Bernie, you start. I thought it was huge, uh, to be honest. Um, and as I said, I met with every group you could think of. I, I often said that, uh, I mean, I was the hardest working candidate. Um, the Republican Central Committee, and I don't want to speak for them in general, but members, many members of the Republican Central Committee uh, loved me. They loved everything about me, loved everything that I said. I met with the Tea Party. Tea Party members, I don't want to speak for the whole organization, but members loved me, loved everything about me, loved what I had to say. And we didn't agree on every issue. I don't agree with everything that the Tea Party agrees. I don't agree with everything the Republican Central Committee says, but they loved me because they loved my honesty and they loved that I was looking at these, this set of issues about public safety in Washington County and they agreed with them and they took the time to listen, which as I said, some members of my own party did not. But when we look at why I lost and uh, why do I think I lost, I think it was national election, 100%. I, I don't believe, I always said that if I was going to win, that this was the election that I was going to win. I, I don't believe I would have won before. I don't believe I'll win after that. That's why I've said I don't believe I'll ever run again. But I thought this was my opportunity. And I thought that there was still, but I'm a dreamer. And I always, my wife knows this about me. I'm an A-type personality, but I'm also a dreamer. And so I still believe that people believed in in ideas and and it that's what the, what broke my heart about this election was that i don't think people believed about ideas in this election in our county they believed about what was the letter after your name and the republican central committee did an amazing job of sending out postcards to most of the republicans saying vote straight ticket vote straight ticket vote straight ticket and it was very effective and I thought that why I lost was because the rural, I call them rural conservatives in our county. Most of the uh, Republicans in Washington County, I felt that I was able to, to make headway with because I was able to reach them either by social media, by television, by newspaper, uh, or just one-on-one -on -one conversation. But when you talk about how many rural conservatives we have in this county, which is outside the city, and I reached them at town council meetings. But when you're talking about those people on farms and areas and homes, 
You cannot reach these people. And that's why we're different than Montgomery County and other areas. You can't reach them by social media because most of them are not on social media. You can barely reach them on the paper, but you have how much money to, to put ads in the paper, which I did. You can barely reach them on the news. I put ads on Fox News, but they're so indoctrinated that they come and vote a letter. My, my opponent won, and, and good for him, but if you ask me, do I believe my opponent beat me or the letter R beat me? And I will 100% tell you the letter R beat me. And people voted straight ticket, and to sum this up, to, to not take too much time, is my niece was at Boonesboro. We had 33 polls covered, my campaign alone. I don't think there's been ever a campaign in this county that's had as many polls covered. And I believe there's 53 or 54 precincts right. in this county. And th th this I know because I've visited every one of them. Right. This is my campaign alone had that many polls covered. And my niece was at one with my sister out of Boonesboro. We're from Boonesboro. And a lot of people would throw it back in her face. This is my niece's. 10 or 11, hun, and they would throw, oh, he's a Democrat, no way, no way in hell would I vote for it. And they're throwing it back in a little 11-year-old girl's face. And she came to my sister and said, Mom, is this Republican Democrat like being a cowboy or a Redskin fan? They're, they're a cowboy family. I'm a Redskin family. And, and it is. It really is. No matter how bad the cowboys are or the Redskins are, your season is about even if you beat them in that one game, even if you lost every other game, if you beat the Cowboys, it's a good season. And that's what people can't get past, and it really has become that. And I think Trump, and it's not all Trump, but Trump has made it us versus them, and people buy into that. And it, it's hard to change that in a rural county. Donna, similar question. Sure. Um, so when I talk in groups like this, I like to tell stories because I think people, our minds tend to remember stories. Um, so I'm having lunch at the beginning. I had filed in February having lunch with a local farmer uh, at the Redbird on, on, um, in Sharpsburg, Keatesville. And he asked me a question. He said, what is going to be your biggest challenge as a candidate? that you're a woman, that you're a Democrat, or that you're from South County. True. And I said, probably because I'm a Democrat. He said, no, I've talked to a lot of people. We're, I'm convinced it's because you're from South County. And Clear Spring and Hancock have had commissioners now for two terms and they're not going to give up that power in Clear Spring. Time passed, and I will tell you, I'm convinced South County had nothing to do with it. My being a woman had nothing to do with it. I'm convinced it was being a Democrat this time. I truly am. Um, people were not willing to cross over. So I'm at early voting. I love to go to early voting. You hung out there as well. Um, probably more than I did. You live there. Uh, but you really get great stories from people. And it was late. I think it was the last evening. It gotten dark, and this car drives up. And I have to tell you, I, somebody had spit on a volunteer earlier that morning. And I was sort of going, oh, you know, something's going to happen. You just sort of get that feeling. So a car drives up as they're going out obviously already voted the window goes down and i'm going uh oh here it comes and the guy was almost angry 
and I'm sort of reaching in the car window to shake his hand. He goes, are you Donna Brightman? Yes. I want you to know I'm 45 years old, I'm a Republican, and I've never voted for a Democrat before, and I just voted for you. And he was actually, um, wanted me to know that he had made that effort, but he was actually still angry that he voted for a Democrat. So why, where are we going in this, let's just say county, locally, when it really doesn't matter your qualifications or your experience or your message, but it's whether you have an RD by your name. Sure. And, and I think everybody knows this, but if we went east of this county, Ryan could have this same forum and put three Democrat, three Republicans and one Democrat, and the Republicans would be sitting here going, why don't they listen to ideas anymore? It's, it's, a, it's a county thing. I think Ryan posted right after the election, if you're in Republican County, Republicans won. If you're in Democratic County, Democrats won almost across the board. Well, in Montgomery County, there's not good Republicans who run. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> We had Robin Ficker as our county executive candidate, and if anybody knows Robin Ficker, I'll leave it at that. Uh, Scott, we already talked about a little bit about the Trump effect, and the inverse for you. I mean, the Republican Central Committee, it's no doubt. I mean, the, the chairman of the Republican Central Committee has a Trump bumper sticker right there on the back of this big old honking Trump. All right? And Trump, you know, he's popular up here, okay? Let's talk, we talked about Trump, let's talk about the gubernatorial candidate, okay? Let's talk about, and, and I know this may not have affected your race, and we'll go down the line, but I want to start with you. Um, ben Jealous did not win Washington County, but, and Governor Hogan, the first Republican since 1954, six decades, to win re-election as a Republican. I think it only happened twice in Maryland history. What do you think the, the effect was of having Ben Jealous, who is the former NAACP chair, um, a credible candidate, someone who clearly had a defined base, and someone who really snuck up, and I always say this, that the defining moment of the gubernatorial election, it, it, there wasn't many, but I think it, if you go back to May 9th, or is it May, either May 9th or 10th, is when County Executive Kevin Kamenitz passed away suddenly, and that was a tragedy. I went to his funeral, I mean, this was this upended Maryland politics because at the time, if you remember, Rashern Baker was the Democratic frontrunner from Prince George's County. Kevin Kamenitz was always seen in that first tier, but Rashern still had the inside track. Vangelis, he ran a smart campaign in the primary. He went to the left of his opponents, and as much as Rich Madalino tried to go to the left, Vangelis still came up and he won the primary. Not just by a few points, but by 10 points against a two-term county executive and a former state delegate who was considered the establishment in Maryland politics. And if I learned anything about Maryland politics is, and I'm talking about the statewide, not necessarily from a Washington County perspective, that establishment, establishment politicians in, in, in the state of Maryland, they win. They do. Look at Ben Cardin. Ben Cardin has been in office more longer than I've been alive. He's you know, a former speaker. I think he came into office in 1966. My mother wasn't even born. He, yeah. Um, look at Chris Van Hollen. You know, he worked his way up. He got onto the leadership and the Democrats. And so 
establishment, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing either, that establishment politics, politicians win, but still, Ben Jealous wasn't an establishment, but he was, he was soundly rejected in Washington County. What do you think the Jealous effect was up here, and how did the Democrats, that is the local Democratic Central Committee, how did they, how do you think they interpreted that? How, how did they expect other candidates to support their, their guy? I can't really speak to the. But I, I just want your interpretation, even from the outside. I think it's a. I think it's a component of a larger issue, and I think this dives back into the Trump issue as well, because from the Republican Central Committee standpoint, and I think you have to, in order to talk about the Democratic, it's the yin to the yang, essentially. You know, you talk about. It seemed to me that you know part of the issue we have in the, because I would like to talk about this. There's a spillover that goes from national to state to local. And I think depending where you fall on that spectrum, whether you're Republican, Democrat, Independent, Green, whatever, there's a spillover to that. And it's, it's almost um, the, like in the Republican Central Committee, and I would imagine it's the same as the Dem in the Democratic, it was very much almost like they were focused more on the, um, on the national race and the state race than the local race. Because it was said to me by the chair of the Republican Central Committee, look, the race is the to the county commissioner. The race is essentially uh, the primary. The five that get through the primary for Republicans, and it came true, are going to be the elected five. And I think that when we start talking about, and, and there was not a whole lot of effort put into that. Like if you start looking, if you go back into Facebook and and uh, internet things from the central committee, and I think the Democrats probably did this as well. It was essentially you know, state and federal stuff. And it was almost like, and I think that had an impact locally. And I think the jealous thing, I mean, I don't know, but I, I everything I kept hearing was Hogan on my end. So I don't know, nobody really attacked right. jealous, I don't think, on from the RCC. Right, and that's a good leeway into Donna. Donna, on the Democratic side, there has been an impression that the local party apparatus, and they do a lot, and I'll give credit to people who are on their local party apparatuses. They are the foot soldiers in this movement. They truly are, and anybody who goes out and spends a Saturday morning or a Sunday afternoon to knock doors for any candidate, much less spend their entire day, they deserve credit because that is how democracy is won, and I mean that. And anybody who goes out and knocks any doors for any candidates, good for you. Donna, but did it seem at any time whatsoever that the Democratic apparatus in Washington County maybe ignored the local issues. And, I want, and that will be our, it's a, it's a good entranceway into our next topic of what happened at the county government and some of the issues and the nuances there. But did you get a sense that local Democrats sometimes neglected to talk about issues that matter with county government and rather focused on issues or candidates that were just out of reach for Washington County. Look, I don't think it takes a mind reader to say that Mr. Jealous was not going to win Washington County from the outset, so why would you spend time volunteering for that particular campaign rather than getting one or two or three solid Democrats or a Green Party candidate on in office? Donna, what say you? So, um... When I decided to run, I knew the only way I could win, had even a, a chance of winning, was to distance myself from the federal and state issues and run a local campaign. 
and run nonpartisan. Out of all the Democrat candidates who ran in competitive races, only one won, and that was Doug Mullendorf. Right after the primary, within 24 hours of the primary, Doug endorsed Governor Hogan. A lot of other candidates, Democrats, were approached. I was approached by the governor several times by his staff to be part of the endorsed Democrat for Hogan. And I hesitated. And then some things got out on social media. And basically, Democrats were killing Democrats and threatening Democrats if they endorsed Governor Hogan. So as a Democrat, I had to make a choice between how much would I gain in Republican support and confidence that I was a Washington County Democrat and supported Governor Hogan, who I knew would win, I think most of us did. How many Democrat votes would I lose? And I decided to play it down the middle. Whether it would have been different on reflection, quite frankly, I don't think it made any difference. Thanks. So, same, I mean, the issue, and I said the same thing, the first Democratic Central Committee meeting I went to, and, and I, only because one of the Democratic Central Committee members are here, he, are present here tonight, it wasn't the whole committee. Let's, let's get that straight. The whole committee wasn't focused this way. Thank you. I know you're here. Uh, but uh, the problem was is at the very beginning, I said the same thing Ryan said. I stood up at the meeting, and I took the most heat for it when other members stood up. Donna stood up. But for some reason, I took all the heat for it. I stood up and said, why are you going to waste time when this guy isn't going to get the votes here? It was a common sense thing, and it turned out to be what occurred. And uh, I said that... Uh, Here's my issues, and I, I, I took heat for it as well. We went to, I, I took my son out, uh, Hogan came up for it at the Ryder Center for one of his kickoff campaigns. My younger son wanted to go see him. He loves Hogan, loved his presentation, and my son's uh, an eighth grader, and he, he really was infatuated with the presentation that Hogan put on, which I'm glad, he's 13 year old, wants to be involved in politics. We went to Paul Quarterman, I went to every, if you threw something, I went there. So I, Paul Quarterman threw one where Hogan came up. I went to that. My wife wanted to take a picture with Paul, I mean with uh, uh, Governor Hogan. And I said, okay, well we can take a picture with uh, the governor, just don't post it on my site because I knew it would be an issue. She posted it on her personal site. And as Donna said, it became an issue with the Democratic Central Committee uh, or people connected with the committee who then started posting saying, do not vote for these people as Democrats because they have turned their back on our party because I have a picture with me and the governor. Uh, which was funny because the way my mind thinks, as soon as I saw that post, I don't, I don't get into arguments on Facebook. I think it's you never win. But I then went and found dang near every single Democrat uh, who had a picture with Hogan. Every single one of them. And then I sent every one of them to this woman and said, here is every candidate with a picture with Hogan. Now, in the end, I, uh, if you ask me who did I vote for, I voted for Hogan. Now, I didn't make that vote just because, oh, it suited me politically because I never mentioned who I was going to vote for. I investigated, which I'm sure a lot of people in this room do. I looked at Jealous. 
I was running for state's attorney for public safety. Jealous had a plan on criminal justice system that said, I'm going to reduce the prison population by 30%. He didn't really, and I read his extended plan, but his extended plan never really said how he came up with this number of 30% or who he was going to let out of prison. Having been a criminal defense attorney for 14 years, there isn't 30% of the criminal population that I would want let out, let alone, I always ask, then you don't mind if those people live next door to you. So I know a lot about the criminal justice system is getting people to get back on their feet, but 30% of the population was a crazy number to me. So I couldn't get on board with that. Hogan's issues, I had issues with Hogan. Hogan's issues, and he inherited some of this, but it was with the correctional officers. The correctional officers are farly uh, underfunded, and uh, they're down 102 officers at MCTC. And Hogan's staffing issues, Hogan hasn't really addressed that. So I had my issues with both of them, but I went with who comes here, who spends their time here, who I believe would still spend their time here and their money here after the election. I believe Hogan would do that. And so that's where I put my pick in. However, that one picture caused me a lot of headache because all of a sudden it was I turned my back on the party because I was in a picture with Hogan. And that's crazy to me. It, it, it just is. Thank you. Round four. And then I want to go to questions. And so to members of the audience, I want you to be thinking of some really good questions to ask our panel. Round four, we know that Washington County government, and let's be honest, is a freaking mess, okay? We have a outgoing county commissioner who is credibly accused of sexual harassment, and we skirted that. Who talked about that in public? No, I, I mean, some of the candidates did offline. Even though that issue has been covered ad nauseum, we have a, a candidate or a, for, a county commissioner who is on his way out who was credibly accused of sexual harassment by the former assistant county administrator in South Korea, nonetheless, not even American soil. We have a current commissioner's president who was credibly accused of domestic violence against his wife. It's all out there. I reported it. We saw the body cam video. We have another commissioner candidate who is up in Hancock that goes from job to job. We don't know what's going on there. But the point is, is that, oh, and I forgot to mention that we have a county government where employees are being mistreated, a county administrator who doesn't know what the hell he's doing, and a, and a chief operating officer who has grievances filed against him by employees. And the reason why I know this is because they leaked this information to me because nobody's talking about this. County government is in chaos right now, and I'm not overstating that. It's just a fact. Employees are unhappy, and anybody know, knows who is in a business or has run a business that when you, when you have unhappy employees, it's not gonna work out so well. You go down to the county government and you talk to people. It's what's happening. Despite all of this, we know this. It got coverage, was in the newspaper, I reported on it. Despite all of that, five all-male commissioners were elected except for John Barr, who ran as an independent. And John Barr, up until the day of the election, probably thought that he might be safe. Well, November 6th came and it went, and John Barr is no longer a commissioner. So despite all of these issues, Terry Baker won re-election. It's, it, it's just fascinating to me how this happens. 
We have ethical issues in this county. We have mismanagement issues in this county. But Republicans and males still won. And it's hard to believe that good, decent candidates like you, Scott, and you, Donna, it's just because you had a D next to your name, seemingly, that you couldn't just get through. What do you make of that? What do you make of the general electorate and how they view these candidates? Did they just not care about some of these important issues? I mean, we're talking about true character issues. What do you say, Scott? First of all, I mean, the bar thing is interesting as well because I, I kind of thought the same thing that, you know, I thought he might get through. I mean, he probably thought he might get through, but I think that even more reinforces the point that we're talking about, that the R behind it. Because, I mean, there's a guy who was not, he didn't have the seeming baggage that we're talking about with those other two. I mean, there were some other, perhaps, rumors, but the fact alone that he left the party was clearly an issue. I mean, he wasn't even close. But he and Bill McKinley, who was also in the same boat as him, were at the very bottom. Yeah, think about a former county commissioner right. who turned independent, came in last place. Right. So that further reinforces that point. I, I think... I think part of the problem is, and, and in fairness, the five that we have now just got elected. So I think it's interesting. We're, who knows where that's going to go over the next four years? It may, may be good. It may not be good. I mean, it remains to be seen. But I think part of it is an education from and or a lack of involvement or whatever you want to call it. So like everybody that's here obviously cares. But I think there are a lot of people who just like to complain and like to say things aren't working but they don't get involved and further it just goes back to whether you want to call it the national uh, state or the Trump effect or whatever everybody seems to be focused at the top of the ticket and both central committees are clearly focused at the top of the ticket so what happens is people are focused on that and then you work your way down and truly I don't think a lot of actual I don't think a lot of people actually think that any governing or changes happen at the local level when in fact it probably has the most direct impact on everyone's lives at the local level. So I think there's, it's partially that. I think it's partially, um, you know, I, my personal opinion is from the Republican standpoint, it was certainly, like I said, you know, these are the five that get through the primary, and we think once we get those through, that's who it's going to be, which indeed it was. But, I mean, like we were talking about even with the Parrot survey, I'll dive back to that for a minute. When that came out, you know, the, both of the central committees are supposed to say, hey, and they, they make it a point to say this, we support everyone equally throughout the primary. And then they get behind those candidates when they get to the general. But after that survey, I would see Facebook posts, because I was, you know, trolling people on Facebook to see what the reaction was. And you'd see posts from senior members of the Republican Central Committee saying, well, I can't say publicly who, and this is during the primary, I can't say publicly who I would support, but private message me and I'll tell you who to vote for. And I'm quite sure I wasn't one of those five. So the only reason I bring that up is people are buying in, I think, to, I, I think it's a couple of things. One, they're not particularly educated, a lot of people, on really what local government does, and, or in this case, what local government doesn't. Or it's just the overriding factor of in the Republican case, well, we hate the left so much that we're just going to vote Republican. And and I think there's a lot of that. And so, like, I'd like to throw this in there as well. One of the organizations I belong to, Citizens Above Partisanship, we have a lot of members here this evening. And, you know, Don, uh, Donna's been to, uh, Donna is a member, I think, and Bernie's been to a number of meetings. 
that's one of the things we're trying to do is reset and go forward and educate folks. And I think that that's got to be the positive outlook of where we're going because, I mean, we can sit here and speculate as much as we want. But what we know is if you're a Republican and you get through the primary, you're probably good. And I, I do think it's a name recognition thing in a lot of right. cases. You look at Terry Baker. You yeah. look at, you know, and, and John Barr would be a name recognition, but that lack, perceived lack of loyalty. And in my case, I think it was a perceived lack of, well, he's not a real Republican because he doesn't hate Donna Brightman, you know, or, and we saw those posts too, you know, oh my God, he got endorsed by an organization that also endorsed Donna Brightman and Elizabeth Paul, you know, so there was some of that. So I, I think it's, it's really just educating people. And that's what we have to, I think as a county over the next two to four years, that's what we have to be doing. We have to really get that momentum because it's not going to happen right now, but it can be done. And I've been rattling on that. So Donna, despite all of the, the ethical issues, what's happening in county government, county employees are concerned. They are concerned about the, the, the new commissioner board of how they will be treated. And, and some of the ethical issues that, that carried over well into this election that were discussed and people talked about. It just seems like it didn't matter to many of the voters. What do you think? So to me, it's about checks and balances and holding our elected officials accountable. And at this point, I would say we have failed as a county to hold our elected officials accountable for the job we elect them to do. Um, again, back to a, a story um, from early voting, a woman passes me as she's going into voting and she takes my hand and she looks at me very closely and she goes, when you get in there, um, don't forget us. And I said, what do you mean? And she almost looked like she had tears in her eyes. She said, please don't forget us. It is so bad. And so when I sit here today, I'm not, you know, it's not sour grapes for losing. What, and, and I think Bernie said it as well, what concerns me is the problems are still there. The reason I decided to run was to try to hold them accountable and not allow them to have a pass. And those issues are still there. So as a community, the folks in this room, uh, whoever listens to this, what are we going to do as a community? Are we just going to give them four more years and not pay attention? Are we going to continue to go on with our daily life, which lives, which is certainly the easy route? But think of the county employees that are dealing with this. I mean, look at the Board of Ed. An ethically challenged member was reelected there. So it's not just the county commissioner board, it's the board of ed. So I'm hoping we can keep this conversation going. I'm hoping there's a way from the outside to push. And I have to tell you, the Herald Mail's not doing their job. I, they're irrelevant as far as I'm concerned. It's gonna take alternative forms of media, of bloggers, of people willing to put themselves out there, whether it's showing up at meetings and speaking at public meetings, this is gonna take some activism 
on our part to do that. We've invited the Herald Mail today and the local television station. Um, they couldn't come. I just wanted to make a quick comment. <laughs> a quick comment on that is, I, and I went to all the debates for the county commissioners as well, and once again, the way my mind works is I, I don't understand how you could have been an incumbent county commissioner and not have a platform at all because I, I can't tell you what the incumbents platforms were other than they were a Republican. To me, uh, jobs was the big one, businesses and jobs. Now, uh, you, you could look in the paper, I think two days ago, and they would say, oh, unemployment is an all-time low in Washington County, but if we all know, I don't need to tell you, those are minimum wage jobs. Those aren't jobs that are gonna keep your family if you have a kid or two kids and be able to buy Christmas presents. Me and my wife always, we do a charity that does Christmas presents. We don't understand how people can feed their family on those minimum wage jobs. So as a county commissioner and you're an incumbent, how you could not run and say, this is the number of jobs that we brought into the county. This is the number of businesses we brought in the county and run on that type of platform. And I think they don't do that because that's, they don't have to and nobody holds them accountable. No media holds them accountable and they can just fall back on the letter. And it, we are becoming that whoever makes it through the primary wins. So we're the opposite of Baltimore County. You make it through the Baltimore County as a Democrat, you get elected. We're, we're, we're just the opposite. Thanks, Bernie. Scott, you wanted to follow up? Yeah, I just, Bernie made a good point and, and this kind of ties into what I was saying as well. So you had the, the Herald Mail, for instance, put out during the primary, Donna, we did it, uh, a candidate survey for county commissioner. And, you know, whether people read it or not or whatever, but this, this really, it, it goes into what Bernie's saying. It had five or six or seven questions or whatever. It was about Cascade. It was about a fire department fund or fire funding and all kinds of different stuff. I don't know about you, but I put a lot of time and effort into my answers to try to have them, you know, pretty, whether or not it reaps rewards, you felt like you owed a, an honest answer on where you stand. And I know some other candidates that did that as well. And some of the current incumbents, it was almost like, well, we're just, we can just throw, it's like a football team that says, we can just throw our ball, you know, the helmet on the field and we're going to win because we're better. Because some of the answers you saw there were no, yes, blah, blah. And that's very disheartening because, and, and I think it's a culture thing almost, a, a culture um, like, eh, it doesn't matter because we've got these few axioms we're gonna stick to and it's gonna work. Whereas actually people, and you talk about no plan, you know, people were providing actual plans. So then it begs the question, did anybody read that? Or were my answers just messed up? Should I just said yes, no? So, I mean, that, that opens it up a little bit wider because and we all talked about that. We compared our answers after the fact and said, hey, I liked your answer on that. I didn't. None of that was from the incumbents. So, And then just a point of personal privilege, all three of you ran tremendous campaigns and you put your life on hold. You did. You put your life on hold. Family members, events, critical events you might miss, I mean, especially you and Bernie, you ran one of the best campaigns I've ever seen run in Washington County, hands down. You did. As a first-time candidate, as a first-time candidate, you truly ran one of the best campaigns. You go to a local event, you see orange everywhere. Everywhere. He's still got signs up. Yeah. Some places in the county. <laughs> 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 Montgomery County, too. Um, and you, you out... And this is not a knock against Charlie Strong. I, I don't know Charlie Strong, but, and I think he's a good and decent man who cares about the people of Washington County, but I think in every possible metric, you surpassed him on a 
in a way that you put out a plan, you were unafraid to talk about hard issues, and not a whole lot of people understand what the state's attorney does. And I think that's fair to say. I'm sure when you walked door to door and people asked you all sorts of questions, and sometimes people still want to know, well, you're pro-life or pro-choice, and you're like, I don't care. But my point is, is that even though you ran truly one of the most remarkable campaigns I've seen run in this in this county, it seems like you were, I think your total was, it was 55 to 45. People still went in and said, Republican, good, that's it. And they just didn't know the issues. I think if they knew the issues, I think it would have been a much different outcome. And, and so, I just, I, just to, to comment on that, and I think early voting, I, I knew that where things were going at early voting, it was just so many people coming in straight ticket, straight ticket. And I think, to be honest, one as one of the most Democrats, I think, and it's weird that you call it that, but flipping Republicans to actually open up and consider me as a candidate, I felt that there were so many there that were like, just like Donna said, you're the only Democrat I'm only vote, I've ever voted for, the only one ever. I've heard that over and over and over early voting, but I knew I had this feeling because so many people were straight ticket. I had a feeling that I would have a lead, but it wouldn't be a lot. And it turned out to be like 300 votes I was up at early voting. And, and that's kind of the feeling that I had. Uh, I also, if you look at the end, which was absentee ballots, we mailed to every absentee ballot person put something in writing to try to say this is what my candidacy is about. I won absentee ballot team by 700 votes. So the beginning and the end I won. What did I lose? I lost election day and it's those people that you could not reach. And as I said, I mean, I guess if I had unlimited money like uh, Mr. Trone did and I sent mailers every day to these people, maybe I had a chance. But what opened my eyes was luckily I tried to go to a different poll every hour for election day, 13 hours. And I went to about five, six polls, standing there in the rain, and then one of my guys called me from Heritage, it's out in the Clear Spring area, and said, Bernie, you gotta get here, it's bad. You gotta, the, the, the lines are huge, and, and I can't do anything with these voters. So then I come out there, and I ended up spending the rest of the day at Heritage. And every single person came in, and the guy I had there was an attorney, a, a, an excellent attorney, but he couldn't do anything. I was there personally, Every single person, I'm spending two minutes talking to them, and they still had no clue what a state's attorney was, had no clue who my candidate, my opponent was, uh, had no clue what he stood for, and I would sit there for two minutes and say, look, law enforcement is behind me. The town councils are behind me. The fire department is behind me. And you explain things, and you make them understand how it affects their life, and then they'd say, oh, it sounds good. Now, I still don't know if they didn't go in and still vote straight ticket, but that's why I'm okay with the election because I saw so many people at Heritage, and these are your rural conservatives, that were like straight ticket, straight ticket, and still had not heard the message. No matter how hard I worked, they still hadn't heard the message. And I, so that's why it's kind of weird to say I really don't think I could have won, no matter how much work I – and I, I'm okay with that now, like, like Scott said. I'm happy I ran it the way I ran it, but the outcome was the outcome. You, you know, Donna and I talked about, I spoke something here. we were just talking about this before, and it was in reference to you, but it, it impacted all of us. Before the primary, all I kept hearing and other new candidates kept hearing was, we want new people, we want new people, we're all voting, we want all those. Throw the bums out. Yeah, that's all we kept hearing. And I kept saying, and I talked to a number of candidates, and I was like, I'll believe it when I see it. But hoping for the best, right? But that's all we kept hearing. 
And then that's what we, I mean, we thought, I echo that, you ran the best campaign I've ever seen. We thought you were going to destroy Charlie Strong. And Donna and I were just talking about this because she heard the same thing, that everybody kept saying, hey, we want new people, we want new people. Magically, either those people didn't come out or they were, you know, I don't know what happened. But we kept hearing that. So, I mean, obviously, to me, that's some sort of data point, mysterious data point, that people are saying one thing throughout a number of different demographics and different races, but the outcome was striking. It's like exit polls. Back back in the 2004 election, John Kerry would have been the next president of the United States, according to exit polls. But we saw how that turned out. Um, so, Donna, I want you to finish that thought. And then, audience, you have listened very attentively and much appreciation for you being here. I want to open it up to you. I want you to engage our panelists and then uh, we'll get you on your way. So I just have another story you'll love. I'm at election day, North High, and this woman's walking by and she sees my sign I'm holding up. She points at it and she said, I'll never vote for her. And I said, well, this is me. Would you like to talk to me? And she said, no, you destroyed the Board of Ed and, and, and I just can't vote for you. And I said, what do you mean destroyed? I think you have me confused with Karen Harshman. <laughs> she goes, oh, you're not the one they kicked off the board? I said, no, I lost an election, but I wasn't kicked off the board. That was Karen Harshman. My last name is Bright Man. She was convinced I was that person. She turned around, looked at me, she said, oh, well, I'll vote for you now. That's the level of thought that goes into a lot of the votes out there. And the other short one, early voting, people would say, oh, great, you're here. I voted for you because you're standing here. I voted for you because you're standing here. I don't know what to do with all of that, but as someone who has spent 10 months of their life 24-7, that's frustrating to hear that on election day, people still don't know who you are and what you stand for. So I just... Well, and to, you know, in the spirit of Karen Harshman, I want to thank everybody for walking one block down from downtown Hagerstown to the next on a on a Sunday afternoon in daylight. So, um, I'll, yeah, so I'll say that. Uh, audience, I know you have been waiting patiently. You may or may not have questions, but I'm interested. The panel's interested to hear from you. So, um, any takers? Okay, I saw your hand go up first, Andrew. And I and I want to introduce Andrew. He ran. I probably already did this, but he also ran against two incumbents, against Neil Parrott. So, did you want to come? Um, actually, let's see if I can bring this mic out here. Yeah, go behind it. Yeah, no problem. So, uh, yeah, I ran against Neil Parrott as a Green Party candidate. Um, so I'm going to ask a question sort of from a third-party perspective. Uh, the Green Party has been steadily uh, growing across the state. This, this year, we ran the largest slate of state candidates uh, the party has ever ran, uh, about 25 candidates uh, this year. 
Um, even a, a, a delegate who's, who's an outgoing delegate, uh, Shane Robinson, he switched his uh, party affiliation from Democrat to Green. So now we actually have a Green Party candidate in, or a Green Party delegate in Annapolis. So my question is, um, with this slow but steady growth of third party candidates and third parties across the state, uh, my question is, where do you kind of see the role of third parties uh, in elections and in politics uh, in the future? Do you see us as being a positive force for you know, bringing new ideas, or do you maybe see us as um, perhaps maybe uh, somewhat insignificant uh, in in the fact that you know people are still maybe going to vote straight party ticket and you know it's going to take a lot more effort than what you know has been previously exerted in order to get this more sort of you know uh, pluralistic view of politics into the local mindset. I'll, I'll start off. My sense is in a rural area, third parties have a really difficult time. Uh, I think we were talking earlier about John Barr and Bill McKinley went to unaffiliated from Republican and they were 10th and 11th out of 11. Um, my concern, I think suburban, urban, I think you'll get traction with different parties. I think rural areas are going to be a much heavier lift, particularly if we continue to have at-large boards. I think if we start um, putting those into districts, I think there's an opportunity for more diversity, including an alternative party. I don't really have anything to add to that. Oh yeah, I'll just quickly, uh, I love Andrew. Andrew hung out at the, the primary of one of the election polls with my older son, Jackson, who is, I think he convinced Jackson to be a Green Party member. I, and to be honest, I think that's where your party will continue to grow is I think your party is going to get more of the young people generation after generation i i do believe that's going to continue to happen however i do believe in this county uh your work's cut out for you because as you heard us i don't think you can win as a democrat in this county with the anomaly of mr mullendore i i think it's impossible so our task is difficult. I think your task is almost impossible. And I, I put my foot in my mouth. My wife, we, we were at a thing and I said, oh man, you got no chance of winning. My wife was like, why would you say that to him? And I apologize, but you can see, like you said, when they switched to the independents, it, it pretty much put them dead last. But I, I think your party's just going to continue to grow. I, I really do. I actually do have something. Actually, maybe not third party related, but the independents. I mean, was there like 30,000 independents or something? Yeah, I don't know. 20, okay, I'm not good at math but, or memories. But, I mean, so really that is kind of the, the X factor a little bit. And that's, that's the swath of people, I think. And, and I think we've discussed, some of us have discussed this, the open primary idea would be wonderful because then you could actually influence it. Well, for people who don't know, and many, I'm sure most of you do for all, what is the open primary concept? <laughs> well, the do you want to explain that just very yeah, quick? Yeah, you probably well, know more than I do. Yeah. Well, the, the open primary is they do this in New Hampshire. Um, so they, Republicans and Democrats can cross over and vote in the, the same primary. And it, 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 independents like myself, the only people that I could vote for 
as an independent was the Board of Education, which is nonpartisan. So that would allow independents to jump in as well. And uh, it's uh, certainly a concept that's worth exploring to increase voter turnout because a lot of people, I think, don't show up to vote simply because they only have you know a few candidates to vote for. And they say, well, what's, what's the worth of that? Um, and then another concept out there is called ranked choice voting. And um, we, we might be able to have some time to talk about that, but go ahead, Scott. Yeah, no, that's all I was going to say was, you know, we could talk about third parties, but we already have problems just, you know, getting traction for the, from one party to the other. I mean, I think if we could get somehow that, that un, the non-Republican base energized, right, and I'm saying this is a Republican, but if we could somehow get that energized, then perhaps later you get a third party. But right now, I mean, it's those independents that really can sway us, and that's, that's kind of what I think all of us is, is essentially moderates for our parties. We're trying to do is trying to say, look, here's a different voice within our own party to try to bridge that gap. I just want to bring up one thing, and we, someone earlier in the panel, they mentioned civility, and that's a term that we hear often, but it's not often translated into actual tangible meaning. And when I think of civility, I think of George H.W. Bush, and I think of someone who spent his life and career making this world a better place. And yesterday, or when I found out um, he passed away, I mean, that was a big hit. He's my grandfather's generation. My grandfather's 93. He was 94. And to me, as you know, someone who's truly in the middle, that, that was a hard hit because I think that he, as, as James Baker said, he was, he was an underrated president. And you never got a sense with the Bushes that you may disagree with them, but they weren't bad people. They were fundamentally decent. And that is truly what is even missing at the local level in some cases. And you mentioned that people said, oh, I hate her. I mean, how can you, how can you say that, that you hate somebody? You, you may disagree with their politics. You may disagree with a certain piece of public policy that they are championing. But to say hate, that's such a strong word. And I think we've got to really move away from that. And I think George H.W. Bush was a good example of what politics were, and I fear that with his passing, that is a passing of an error that we may not see. Um, again, I'm hoping to see that revitalization, that, that return back to civility, because what we have now in American politics, and it really starts at the top, what we're seeing coming out of the White House is shameful. It's shameful. So next, Aaron, you have been patiently waiting. And Aaron is a... He is a connoisseur on how to moderate, and I will ask for his feedback as soon as we finish. So, Aaron moderated the chamber. My first question is. The, again, perfect segue, the national atmosphere has seeped into our local elections, which is completely bonkers. It has nothing to do, the national conversation has literally nothing to do with our local conversation. But as, as candidates that are up against a us versus them, uh, dynamic how do you how do you adjust for that and how do you get your message out so because I'm looking at all of you saying 
you might not want to run next time, but sorry. So how do you adjust your message or how do you adjust your strategy to deal with that, that dynamic? Because it is an effect that, that is being laid upon our, our politics here. So, And I'm going to stand right here because I have another question after that. So just, just briefly, that's exactly what I think we all tried to do this time. I think we all saw a disaster in our particular incumbents that we were running against. And we did everything, I, I know I did, as to show what a reasoned, centrist approach to government, local government, could mean for the county, for the city of Hagerstown. And not an, it's all about votes. Not enough people turned up to vote. And if we look at the numbers, I haven't looked at them deeply, but what I think I know about them is a lot of city voters didn't turn out. Early voting, I was in third place in early voting. And it went downhill from that. So the people who came to early voting were engaged theoretically or understood the process or maybe they were more urban and suburban and it was the outline it's almost Washington County is almost the tale of two counties we have the suburban and urban mindset and then we have a very rural mindset that really wants the status quo who really likes the tradition over innovation we discovered that on the Board of Ed Clayton Wilcox discovered that on the Board of Ed. They wanted a local superintendent. And I can remember sitting in meetings and three of the Board of Ed members criticizing Dr. Hardings, myself, and Dr. Wilcox because we didn't know what we were talking about because we were not from Washington County. And that basically we needed to shut up and sit down. So. Again, a tale of two counties. I don't know how we bridge that, how we respect tradition and still promote innovation. And that's what I tried to do and I think several folks here tried to do. So you mentioned the spill down from national to local. I'll play devil's advocate and say, is it possible that this is just a microcosm of the rest of the country? That it wasn't nationally a spill down that one of the reasons we have this nationally is because Washington County has always had this issue, along with you know hundreds of other counties. I don't know. So I think they go hand in hand. You know, it's maybe a chicken and egg thing, but I do think they go hand in hand. Now, how do you get past that? You know, I think it's logic and reason a lot of times. I think what you need are people who are engaged. You know, the run. I've heard that the you know the, the world is run by people who show up, right? So what you need are people who show up and you get out and doing what we're all doing tonight, right? You get out, you talk, and I tell you, there are a lot of people who disagree with me, even in my own party and my own family, politically, but if you, if you sometimes see things from other people's points of view, and I think that if we start small, and we try to do that collectively, for as bad, if you want to call it a cancer or any other infection, that no, I'm serious, that, that has overtaken some of this, how do you reverse that? Well, you start small, and you get out, and you say, okay, well, why do you feel that way? Well, I feel this way because of that. And, and, and a lot of times, if you talk to people and try to see it from their point of view, and logically, you know, 
and, and logically and rationally talk through it, a lot of times people, it's a credibility building. So, you know, there's no easy answer to this, but it's one of those, I think you roll up your sleeves and all of us do our part. Whether we agree or not, it's the Venn diagram of the American people because there really is, there's more that unites us than divides us. It's just a question of, you know, differences. Something to do different. Uh, I mean, I saw a comment on social media that I thought was interesting. It said that, and I, it didn't mention us particularly, and I say us, meaning me and Donna, but I think it stated that a lot of the Democratic candidates spent their time chasing Republican votes. And had they inspired Democrats to get out, they would have won. And we should have spent more time inspiring Democrats. Uh, to the, and the only person I can come to mind, only because I just learned about him this election, was uh, O'Rourke in Texas. Because when I saw him speak, I was inspired. But uh, I don't know if I could have inspired any more Democrats to vote than the ones that did vote. It's not like I spent all my time at Republican events I went to every event in inner city, uh, uh, you know, county, it did not matter. So I don't think that was the issue, but I saw that comment. For me, it, once again, this is not a sugar-coated answer. Not a lot of people would like that, but uh, like the response. But as I said, I don't ever plan to run again. But if I did run again, I would not run as a Democrat. And, and I mean that in no disrespect to the party. And it's hard for me to say that because I had unions support me. I had law enforcement, correctional officers support me. I had to fire you like, like Donna did. All these organizations support me, but I believe in my heart they supported me. They didn't support the Democrat that was running for the position. So I, I, I would not run again as a Democrat in this county. And it, it's not about me winning or being a Democrat in that position. For me, as I said, it was a dreamer. It was more about what I could accomplish for you. And that's what every politician should be. I had all these dreams of what I could do different for this county. I could do those just as easily being a moderate Republican as I could have been a conservative Democrat. There's really no difference between the two. I didn't change my party and lots of Republicans told me to change it. They said, Bernie, if you would have just changed, you would have won easy in the primary. Everybody begged me to change. But I felt that that was going to be false to who I was as a person. So I didn't change. But being realistic now, yeah, I would not run as a Democrat in this county again. I just wouldn't. I, I don't think the opportunity to win is there. And if I were to run, the goal is to help you. That's why you're electing me, to help you. And I got to find a path that would get me there. And it's not as a Democrat. It's just not. So it's a, it's a tactical decision. Yeah. I mean, you want to win the battle. Uh, or rather win a the uphill battle or the war, so you have to change the strategy, and I get that. But Aaron, you had a, a second question. Okay. I'm stealing the microphone from you. I did, I did, you asked me to be on your podcast one time, and that was when, when Pod was going on, and I was like, eh, but. I'm, I'm still taking it back. So my second question is, again, a perfect segue from, uh, from Bernie's uh, comment there. But first, I want to say, I want to tell a little story. Again, see, I'm stealing the microphone from, from Ryan. But Donna, I knew I loved you. I'm going to at this, this one moment, I'm going to tell a little story. Was I was at BFM, and I was working on Jonathan Hager. And uh, our mission from the board was to design a 21st century school. And that design got beaten down into a 19th century school. And you came into that office and said, 
what the are you doing? Like, yes, you did. And I was like, I love that woman right there. So, <laughs> so we need people like that. And and I know Bernie's like, I'm never gonna run again because blah blah blah. I got four years to convince him otherwise. So, um, yeah, well, like I said, four years is a long time, and I can be I can be pretty pretty fucking good. Anyways. Um, was there a question? Yeah, I said, I said there was. A, I said there was a story before the question. So my question is: So I lived in Baltimore for ten years. I worked on campaigns in Baltimore. The election in Baltimore happens on primary night because no one runs as a Republican. I mean, people do run as Republicans in Baltimore, but let's be honest. So when you win the primary in Baltimore City you win the election as a Democrat, which this election sort of, it, it made it all too clear that, that that's the case in Washington County. So to, to sort of Bernie's point there, would Democratic, I'm, I'm like, I'm saying sorry, Marianne, but uh, would Democratic candidates consider running primaries running as a Republican and running in the primaries as fiercely as the general election because that's where the election's going to be won. So is that um, being pragmatic, that's the that's the solution to getting new and progressive ideas in Washington County. Are, are candidates open to that? So I, w I will just say after the election, I made a comment to a member of the Central Committee that there will not be another reasonable, qualified Democrat candidate that will run again in four years. Nobody's going to put this kind of time and effort in and come up empty-handed. And, and I've done it twice, so I can tell you how it feels. Um, Moving from Democrat to Republican just for the sake of an election, and in, in, I, I get that, but it's almost buying that as a valid way of doing the process. And to me, if the pro I don't believe in the ends justifying the means. I just think there's a good way of going about politics. And we have a two-party system, so we have checks and balances. Look at what happened to Congress. They now have a check and balance. If we have all one party, whether it's all Democrats in Baltimore City or all Republicans in Washington County, we're part of the problem. Pragmatically, maybe it would work, but I tell you what, the Republican Central Committee loves to hate me. So just as a individual, female Democrat, they would probably work against me as a um, dino, uh, converted Republican, just the way they worked against John Barr and Bill McKinley. They taught them a lesson. They smacked them down and said, how dare you leave the party and go to independent? We're going to show you where that gets you. So it's very complicated. It's not as simplistic as, oh, let's just all become Republicans and we'll beat them at their own game. So, 
Hey, I've been sitting here bashing with the Republican Party all night, so you're fine. No, I think that Donna makes a good point, and also, I mean, from a realistic standpoint, if, if Donna or Bernie or anybody else, and, and I'm not saying you shouldn't run as a Republican, but that does open up problems because, like you said, with the two independents, so they left uh, the party, ran as independents, and we saw how that worked out. So think about how it would work with, you know, any Democrat saying, hey, I'm going to leave the Democrats and run as a, a Democratic Party, run as a Republican. So I, I think you run the risk of, you know, losing your, your Democratic base, it looking like a turncoat. And then... People show up on elections over there. Okay. And they see a, and they see a letter. That's true. That's all however, however, I'm not saying that what you're saying wouldn't work, but I think my focus is more, I, I would like to see personally, instead of people bouncing parties and jumping back and forth, I'd like to see some of the, the language change. I'd like to see the people on the right stop calling Democrats Democrats or libtards. I'd like to see, I'm serious, it, it, it infuriates me. I'd like to see people on the left stop calling me a racist and dumb because I'm a Republican. I'm a libertarian. I, people call me things on both sides. So. But but what I'm saying is we're talking about we're talking about philosophical culture changes, and so you know if we're talking about just jumping parties and doing things like that, that's a band aid that's probably not going to work, and people are going to see through it. In my opinion. I would like to see holistic change where we actually have some civility and we actually have people say, you know what, Donna and I, Donna and I have had, and Bernie too, we've had some pretty good discussions. We don't agree politically, but you know what, I can work with these people. What did I say to you after the, uh, I, I looked at you after the, the PAC, or CAP forum and said, hey, you know, we can do business together, right? And that's not because she's a Democrat or I'm a Republican, it's because, you know what, so I, I would like to see more of that. And I think as a community and as a society, if we could focus on something like that, I think we'd probably be getting somewhere. That's just my thought. Bernie? Um, it would be much easier for me to transition for the next four years. I mean, the, the, the messages that I got from the Republican Central Committee area was that they were heartbroken that I lost. And this was people that weren't my own party. Those were the, the text messages and the emails that I received after I lost. Uh, even before I lost, uh, people like Mike McKay, uh, the delegate, he thought I was going to win 60-40. A lot of people thought I was going to win that percentage. I was always hopefully optimistic, but I knew the county. So that's the type of support. So would it be easy for me to transition? Yes. Uh, I, I, I can tell you before when people were trying to convince me to, to switch parties, uh, we never even thought about it because I just said I am who I am. I'm going to win or lose as who I am. Uh, now, uh, as I said, thinking that I will never run again, the only thing that prevents me from doing it is nothing about trying to game the system or transition. Uh, the only thing that would ever prevent me is that there were certain individuals, and for one, for me, it was Chip Cook, uh, who he, amazing man, a union man, and he really put his heart, in my opinion, into me and into my campaign. and. For him, the switch in the party, I don't know if he could understand that. And because I'm a loyal person, that's probably the only thing. It's weird because I, I want to help you. I want to help this county, but it's that loyalty to those individuals that would prevent me from doing it. If, if I ever did consider running again, which at this point, I'm, I'm not. Barb, you have? Yes, sir. We'll get you, Barb. Yes, my name is Wayne Dennis. I live in the city here. I encourage you all to say who you are and to run again. 
my question basically is, what do we do to bring this county into the 21st century and infrastructure, jobs, transportation? We haven't really talked about what anybody really stands for as far as those issues are involved. So those were the issues we brought up at numerous forums for several months. Um, as county commissioner, to, to Ryan's comment, I brought up sexual harassment, I brought up HR issues, I brought up the infrastructure of a bridge that's going to be taking over a year to be repaired. It happens to be between 67 and my house, so I see it every day. Um, you need leadership. You need emergency services, right? You need leadership willing to do the budget that pays for that, to have the vision that puts things in certain priorities that need to be done. And this county elected a status quo board. There are two new members, and it takes three to get anything done. So we have yet to see how those three votes are going to come out and how it's going to work out. Uh, we have a new president, Jeff Klein. I'm assuming he'll be the, yeah, the president. That's my understanding. And Terry Baker will be the vice president. Those are two incumbents. Wayne Kiefer is an incumbent. So there's a lot, to, and we're going to see how they act together for four years. I don't wish ill of them. We have almost 50% of this county is free and reduced meal. We are a working poor county. We need these folks to get it right, and we need to help them get it right. And if they're messing up again, we need to be willing to call them on it before another election. We need to do it sooner. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna, a lot of what Donna said, I mean, I agree with her and I echo it. So, you know, we need a vision. How do you get there? Everybody's got a different vision. First of all, new ideas and new thinkers, right? I think that's part of it. I think we need to really push education as a county. We're one of the lowest uh, counties in the state with a population with bachelor's degrees. So, and I had said during the campaign, you know, what are we? Are we a blue collar county or are we a white collar county? I don't think we're really either right now. I mean, we're historically blue collar, but we haven't transitioned to white collar, but we don't have blue collar jobs to support that. Careers versus jobs. So there's economy, there's education. But I also think we need some people that have some unique ideas. It would be nice to have leadership that represents the entire uh, population of the county. So, you know, that, that actually looks at every issue across the board, not just their own party issues, not just their own demographics. It would be nice if we had, not even nice, but it, it, we need to have ethical and moral people in positions of leadership. So they're not taking advantage of people, they're not doing all those things, but that's just blocking and tackling. But then you get into the second tier, What? how do you make that happen? You know, you can go to Frederick County, look at downtown Frederick and their revitalization, and there's a pretty good blueprint. You can look all over and there's pretty good blueprints. We're trying to do some things like Cascade that hopefully will jumpstart. So, I mean, we need to take some risks. This is just my opinion. But we need to take some risks as a county, calculated risks that are gonna hopefully pay off in rewards. But we've gotta get that blocking and tackling down. We've gotta have our kids educated um, to build towards the future, jobs, infrastructure, all that same stuff. Oh, 
Bard, you have been waiting so patiently in the back. Do you want to step up? And then we have time for about three more questions because we have to go home. And I want to watch the Steelers game, so. Hello. I want to congratulate you all on your leadership by taking a risk and running. It takes guts to do it, and it shows leadership. And of course, I'm, well, I just want to make a couple statements. And uh, when we talked about the Herald Mail, I worked at the Herald Mail in the 70s, and we had a total circulation in both newspapers, the Herald and the Mail, morning and afternoon papers of 46,000. Now, the Herald Mail has 20,000 circulation. Um, every October, um, they have to report the circulation to the ABC, um, um, American Bureau of Circulation, I think that's what it's called. And, um, and it depends, and they use those figures for advertising rates, so they know that the people who buy newspapers generally read the newspapers, so anyway, that is a huge problem that this, that this county had, and it's a monopoly, and there's only 20,000 people who get the newspaper. And a lot of those aren't from Washington County. They're doing tri-state. Exactly. So I would maybe cut that in half. Well, half or at least two-thirds are here, but whatever. Um, but you're right, uh, not all in Washington County. Um, the other thing is, another numbers thing, and that you all uh, uh, talked about it, uh, the number of Democrats. Um, if you if, if there are more Republicans and they vote a straight ticket, then they're going to win. That's, that's the basic part. And it's harder to convert someone, Bernie, out at the Heritage, it's harder to convert somebody than it is to get a new, new person on board. So I would say that the Democratic Central Committee's job for the next four years is to get Democrats registered. And um, that is, that's that part of the numbers game. But those are just statements. I don't know if you have any comments about those, but thank you. What you just said about what the Democratic Central Committee's main mission should be is what Bernie and I, you weren't in the room, uh, said at numerous Central Committee meetings. Your job is to get Democrats elected and get Democrats out to vote. And they failed at both of those. Okay. They failed at both of those. And, and only because I, I think just the, the, the one anomaly, obviously, once again, was Doug Mullendore. But why I always say he's an anomaly is he's, he's been a sheriff in Washington County for 40 years. So he, you can't even begin to count the number of people's lives he's touched since, since yes, a, as a sheriff throughout the county, where not that he was the, he, he was in the department for 40 years. And so even then it's still a close race. And as Donna said, he in writing endorsed Hogan, which, which is fine. I, like I said, I voted for him, but he also endorsed Craig Wolf, which I found interesting only because Craig Wolf was running for attorney general and everything Craig Wolf was saying, I was saying. I mean, I watched his debate with Brian Frosch and his comments about the criminal justice system and crime it was identical to what I was saying, that the, whether you believe it or not, the way Washington County, and specifically Hagerstown, is going, 
the trend is getting worse. I, I don't expect it to get better. I expect the violent crime to increase. And, and as I said, unless you have a proactive approach to that, it's going to continue in that trend. And Craig Wolf was saying the same things. But Mullendore was an anomaly only because he's been here. He grew up here 40 years. He's been in law enforcement. And he's gained that level of trust. And he had that name recognition. Uh, yeah, I get, imagine if I continue for another 40 years and I decided to run, my possibilities of winning would, would be higher. Okay. All right. We have time for three more questions. Sir. You look familiar. <laughs> All right, I guess I'll go with a little introduction real quick. Name's Jackson Nash Semler. I'm currently a second year at North Hagerstown High School, and I'm also the uh, son of Bernard Semler. So I guess the idea that I'm going to start off with here is the similarity between me and my father is that we're both pretty big dreamers, and we tend to view things the same way a lot of the time. And I guess. The day after we lost, we kind of did this thing where we, we looked at a lot of the high points and a lot of the low points, strengths and weaknesses of his main campaign of running. And I just wanted to know if, uh, like, if you were to ever run again, knowing your strengths and weaknesses from going through this year's <laughs> campaign, I guess, how would you go about using these strengths and weaknesses to uh, help your campaign if you were to run again? Now you have to run again. I was going to let Donna answer that one first, but she handed... Man. As I said, I, I honestly do not think I could have been successful having seen the results. Uh, we did everything we can. And just so people... I don't know if everybody knew, for, for nine months, I pretty much closed my practice. So, I mean, this was a full-time job for nine months uh, trying to win this election, and uh, which was a hardship on my family to not have that income. Uh, to be everywhere all the time. So really, as I said, I, even though I criticized that one comment on social media uh, about inspiring Democrats, uh, I, I perhaps I, I didn't do that enough. I viewed that there was three different ways I could win. Uh, if Democrats just got out and voted in a high number, we would have won. Donna would have won. I would have won. I felt that both Donna and I had enough crossover votes that we both would have won if Democrats just would have gotten out. So potentially we didn't inspire Democrats as much as we could have. I also felt the other way we could have won is if independents just would have voted in a high number. Independents could have switched every single race. 20,000 independents, they could have controlled every single race. They could have made the difference. And I don't believe that they were inspired to get out and vote or, or didn't vote in a high number. And so then it just became to Republicans, and as I said, how many crossover votes did I get? I think I got, and a lot of people, a lot of times I say, man, I think I got probably six, 7,000 Republican votes. The problem is I needed 10 or 12. And that's how many, yeah, how many more can you convince? And you just don't have the hours in the day when I was at this full time knocking on door to, to so when you look at weaknesses the only weakness that i could point to is yet yeah, maybe even though i criticize that comment to to have inspired democrats to, to get out because i know we can sit up here and say and i do it too that the, that our central committee didn't do the job that it was supposed to do because all i said at that first meeting was your job is to get people out to vote get people out to vote and yeah they might have dropped the ball but i always look at what i could have done and maybe i could have inspired them to, to, to vote and maybe I just did not do that, and that might have been my weakness. 
So there's always a balancing act when you run in a, as a Democrat in a Republican county. How strong a campaign, how edgy a campaign, do you alienate more people than you bring on board? That's always that balancing act. Um, I felt for the first time I had it right this time. I really felt like I had gone into areas of the county that normally would not support a female Democrat, and I had had very productive, what I call, I got traction. Got traction in Hancock, got traction in Clearspring, got a lot of traction in Smithsburg. I felt I had put all of these coalitions together. 47% of the registered voters did not vote. Did, 47% did not vote. A large percentage of urban city voters, African American, Hispanic, whether you agree with it or not, historically they vote Democrat, did not turn out to vote. So Bernie and I ran a strong campaign. I'm not sure, you can always do something different. It's always a coulda, shoulda, woulda. You always do that. But I felt this was the campaign that the county was ready to elect a female Democrat. And I thought I had that chance. I really did. But when people sit home and don't vote, I'm not sure how a candidate can be great if people don't vote. So there's, you know, I'm not gonna blame the voter, but I'm gonna say you can do everything possible, but if they sit home, if they don't turn out. If I run again, there'll be just, there's a whole lot of things, but I'll give you the cliff noted version. I would uh, actually decide to run more than two weeks out from the filing date, which would probably be a start. Uh, I would actually have a network and a campaign staff because this time it was myself, my treasurer, and then about a month or two months from the election, I brought somebody in to actually help. So it would be more than three of us. Um, I wouldn't, this time I self-funded and I put 10,000 of my own dollars in it. I would not do that again. What, to not spend my own money? So my wife tells me. Um, so I would actually kind of go the more traditional, and there was a reason for that. I didn't want it, I wanted to do my own thing, and I wanted to kind of do that, and that was my own decision. But I would actually do the more traditional route and get all that stuff in place, get volunteers, get networks. I learned a lot this time because, like, for instance, after I lost, I went and canvassed for Donna a couple of days, and John Proka and I canvassed together, and Kira canvassed with us. So, I mean, I, I was, I'll be honest with you, that's not my kind of thing, is knocking on somebody's door, because I always, I always thought that, you know, I'd get a shotgun in the face or whatever. And I realized that it's actually not that bad. So uh, I would get the volunteer network, I'd get people in place, I'd start a couple of years out. I have some other thoughts, which I won't share, but I mean, it, for me, it's more just planning in advance. And, you know, when you start two weeks out, you're somewhat behind the eight ball. The one thing I would not change, though, is, I would still put my plan in place and run it my way. And if the Republican Central Committee wanted to come along, great. If they don't, that's great too. Thank you. Um, just, I wanted to mention one thing. We talked a little earlier about kind of how county government at this point, there's some 
questionable activities in county government. Think about this. Do you remember, I think it was last year, in Washington County when there was a vacancy on the school board? And we all know why, we don't need to revisit that, but there was a vacancy because someone exited stage right. <laughs> and the county commissioners appointed the Republican chairman of the Central Committee to lead the panel to select a new nonpartisan school board member. To me, that says that they were unserious about finding a real, an actually qualified candidate, not to say that the person whom they ultimately picked was unqualified, but rather that reeks of cronyism. And people can relate to that, that's tangible. And that was very disconcerting. So in so much as the, I think Tim Rowland wrote a column, I wrote a column, and I, I think we have to really look past that. And I see in county government now, there are a lot of partisan politics that happen that are often missed. And I hope that through what I'm doing through a minordetail.com, and I hope the Herald Mail and the news station, it, it seems like they have to get on the ball a little bit on some of the investigatory work that needs to be done. Otherwise, we're going to continue electing the county government that we get that we're here tonight to talk about to see how we can move this in a different direction. So I, I just wanted to add that point of personal privilege. Um, you had a question. Yeah. Right? So uh, this is wonderful. Thank you. My name is Brian Gaither. Uh, Mike Ryan, I'm from Gaithersburg, Maryland. Um, I want to say thank you to everybody for running. It's difficult. It's a massive sacrifice for you and your families, and it's very important that people do that in our democracy. Um, I looked at your numbers, uh, Bernie and, and Donna, while I was sitting here because I was very impressed by everything you had to say. Um, you guys are not that far off, so switching 10% of the voters the other way from the Republican would have given you the election. Having lived in Baltimore City previously, uh, as Ryan was saying, it's, or somebody was saying, it's done. Like, it's not even, you know, close. Um, your election could have been turned with support from the state or from more training in your local central committee to do the things you're talking about. Um, Hogan took 20% of the vote in Baltimore City in 2014 during the general, and he took almost 40% in this last election. So it is possible. I've looked at a lot of counties in Maryland. It looks to me like from the numbers, you guys can win if you run again. So I hope, like some of the other people who've expressed this, that you seriously consider that. My question for you, though, is more specific as a Democrat. I was yesterday at the organizing committee in Lanham, uh, and Dr. Maya Rockimore was elected the new state chair and has promised to focus on rural counties. Um, if you had an opportunity, which you sort of do now, um, to communicate to her what you would like to see so that those 10% flip if you choose to run again, what would you tell her you want from the state party to make that happen in Washington County? Interesting you should ask. So within a week of the last election, I called Kathleen Matthews at the state party and said, we have a problem here locally. We have a Democratic Central Committee that is confused about their mission. I'll just put it that way. Uh, that they put up ballot candidates um, above local candidates. And I know Bernie and myself both sent emails to the local central committee asking that they not use our names in any joint messages without our express permission. 
and they did not honor that. Not just once, twice, but three times, they did not honor that. And we were not the only two that sent that very scripted message. So I asked that we, that the state facilitate the meeting. I was told there's campaign going on and you, there may be new leadership and I specifically asked whether it's Kathleen or Mayo um, to please get hold of Washington County as soon as possible after the election so we can have a sit down and the state can mediate that because I truly believe the Democratic Party in Washington County and Western Maryland is in jeopardy right now. And if the state party goes too far to the left, I don't know who I'm going to offend, the R revolution, the, that approach to Democrat party will not fly in Western Maryland. We need to be allowed to form our message as Democrats to what is relevant to our local government. So I'm hoping she calls. I spoke to Eva Lewis and at 